You're listening to Sidious Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations. I get to be the host guy. My name is Rick Enlow, and I'm here with the president guy, Dave Hillis. How you doing, Dave? Well, good host guy. I, I like that as a <laughs> moniker for you. <laughs> there you go. I got to get some cards. Uh, hey, listen, uh, this uh, series that we're in is kind of newish in that we're in our second mm-hmm. episode of Imagining Abundance. And I know mm-hmm. that uh, prior to this, we did a, a whole series on uh, um, on tradition innovation. And I know some people are just now binge listening to those. But uh, just to catch up, if you if you didn't listen uh, to the last episode, that did kind of set the context, or you know, we kind of got into the the big idea there. Yeah. But um, for those people who want to jump in, you know, there's a, a lot of folks. You know, Dave, they get the instructions. Uh, in the box, and they just they just say, nope, I'll just figure this out. So for folks that don't want to go back and you know actually you know r- review what was happening, uh, yeah. just give me a, a quick reminder of, of what that means in this yep. series. Yep. Well, as we uh, we said at our last episode, <clears throat> when LF says that our charism is city as playground rather than battleground, uh, it directly impacts uh, three very important things in our work. First is theological. God is a friend of the city rather than a foe. It affects mm-hmm. our sociology. Our neighbor now becomes a colleague rather than a competitor. But most importantly, and this is the, the series, is that it affects how you see the economy. And uh, it, we see it now as one of abundance rather than scarcity. Mm-hmm. So I think what we're doing, Rick, together is just sort of talking through the ramifications of what would it mean uh, to do work with the idea that the economy is one of abundance. Uh, what are some of the ramifications of that? And consequently, why uh, do we still wrestle with that and buy in what I would describe is uh, the myth of scarcity, which Walter Brueggemann beautifully writes about with regard to the sort of theological implications of that. And not only uh, the theological, sociological, and then economic, but I mean, the whole thing, I think, would just be considered, um, you know, a bit of a study in effulgence. <laughs> I just said that, Dave, because I want to say you know, that I, word quite often. I, I, I am, I'm ready to throw down the gauntlet, Rick, and say that you have won <laughs> the contest of who uses effulgence well, in case, the most. That's a little teaser for, for listening to the previous <laughs> episode when Dave teaches me new words and then I wear them out because <laughs> I, they sound so cool. But yeah, the uh, the, the idea, uh, we we also kind of did a flyover um, textually in terms of, you know, the 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 idea of the feeding of the 5,000, which is recorded in all four of the gospels and mm-hmm. um, just the, uh, the ability for, uh, you know, Jesus to see um, the asset, which was the crowd, you know, the, yeah. and, you know, his love for the people and yeah. that the uh, contrasting that with sort of the followers who felt this responsibility and yeah. they kind of had a scarcity attitude because the groceries were pretty thin. So it was a great way to kind of understand you yeah. know, um, you know, how to have that world view. And speaking of world, um, you know, there are more than, uh, that's an obviously a new Testament kind of example, but I love, uh, this idea in Genesis when, you know, suddenly these almost not only two different cultures, but two different world views, really, if you want to use that phrase or, yeah. uh, you know, uh, are on display when we get to that account of, uh, you know, um, yeah, the, the whole you know the account of creation and, and Pharaoh. Lead us there for a minute. Yeah, well, I really want to 
uh, lay this at the feet of, of Walter Brueggemann, uh, just as an aside, uh, Old Testament scholar, um, taught at Columbia down in Georgia for many years. And he, uh, Rick, for me, when I think about, okay, well, who is my default mechanism for you know, New Testament, Old Testament. He's He's been the guy that I've gone to probably more than anything. And he's written wonderfully about the idea of economy. I would say that prior to uh, Brueggemann, I felt like I sort of read the scripture in kind of two dimension and being introduced to Brueggemann and particularly with his idea around, you can't read this narrative accurately if you aren't considering the economical ramifications uh, the scriptures kind of opened up for me. It's like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. how did I, you know, ever miss that? So his argument is that you know, Earth, you know, is created uh, in here it comes, Rick, effulgence, um, right? This mm. this overwhelming sort of economy of abundance. It's not until you get to the 47th chapter of Genesis where the myth of scarcity gets introduced through the person of the Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And his argument then becomes the rest of the Old Testament uh, really is a battle uh, of sorts between the liturgy of abundance and the myth of scarcity. Um, mm. the, the book of Exodus, for example, is essentially the you know, retelling um, of the Israelites and showing when they believed in the, you know, uh, abundance of God. And then when they would revert back, you know, to the myth of scarcity, um, you know, the economics of someone like the Pharaoh. And I think you fast forward that into, you know, the 21st century. I think that same sort of, you know, to and fro between abundance and scarcity is still a play. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, it's taking place all over the world. And so I, it's, it's a very important dimension. Um, and I think particularly for people of faith, you know, we sometimes, ah, you know, money and it's, weren't we warned about that, that, right. It's going to be the yeah. thing that's going to destroy our soul. It's like, yes, <clears throat> but particularly when you don't talk about it, in other words, when it just becomes a part of the base relief of your life, it's still got energy, right? It's still doing yeah. things. And so, you know, I think for us to have a more honest conversation about, again, work in cities and our own lives, um, money's got to be a part of it. Uh, and so yeah, yeah. how do we think about it? How do we talk about it is key. Well, even uh, I was thinking when you were talking about Bergman, I was thinking of uh, uh, some of the great, uh, you know, sort of, uh, translation that work that's gone on which is sometimes called you know hermeneutic or mm-hmm. exegetical kind of work is that asking the question whenever you're reading any kind of a document especially you know an ancient one that's middle eastern uh is to ask you know what occasions this writing like why like why you know mm-hmm. and of course in the in the letters we kind of sometimes get a hint like it's written to this group of people at this time because of this but i think to view you know like um you know the especially the old testament as a you know as a push back against what was the original idea yeah. you know of creation is really really insightful and i do think that um you know uh, when we get to jesus he he certainly wasn't silent you know uh 
on the, on the topic of money, but he was always trying to bring us back to the liturgy of abundance. I love that phrase. I don't know if you invented that, but I'm, you know, I wrote it down. I, I, I wish I had, but again, that that's Walter. Bergman, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, thank you, Walter, because, uh, you know, I mean, I, I just think that, that to me, that only, not only, um, clarifies, uh, you know, the, the old Testament text, but also you can see Jesus, you know, teaching, you know, in this direction. Um, That's right. So, you know, and and also, um, you know, when you think about uh, the the kind of current circumstances that we're in, we're in such a an opportune time where, even though I would say, um, you know, we have seen, you know, the nationalistic thing kind of, you know, like everything is, you know, Brexit and everything it, you know, like because mm-hmm. everybody's kind of trying to do their own thing. But at the same time, I think we're, we have this, uh, incredible, um, you know, kind of global, uh, opportunity just, you know, in my lifetime, I mean, just to be aware, you know, I mean, all the things that have happened that have made us connect to, uh, you know, the world. And that's what I love about, uh, leadership mm-hmm. foundations. It's not a, uh, you know, it's not a, a single, uh, nation. I mean, yeah, it was, you know, Pittsburgh, was kind of the, you know, origin city for this particular movement, but it's, it's, yeah. it's gone beyond the borders. And, yeah. and so I wanted just for uh, today to talk about uh, Africa, because there are several expressions uh, of yeah. leadership foundations in Africa. Yeah. And what a gift, you know? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I've had the, I've had the privilege of being in Africa uh, a few times. In fact, uh, Rick, you and I crossed over there through our sons, yeah. who uh, both were in Leadership Foundation in Pretoria. Uh, uh, you know, in all my travels, um, there's nothing quite like Africa. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I still um, find myself, I remember the first time I landed there uh, and was out in Kampala, um, Uganda, and there was a vibrancy, you know, a potentiality. Um, a pregnancy, I don't know what quite the word is, to Africa, um, and there still is. And people, uh, our local leaders foundations in Africa uh, would articulate that continually, uh, just about the, the beauty of the land, um, its possibilities. But of course, it's been ravaged. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, as a little aside, Rick, I think that one of the things we could talk about a bit more with regard to the abundance of economy, the myth of scarcity has uh, a manifestation in it. And it's, uh, I think the term is extractive uh, profit. The notion is, is that, you know, you do recognize, you know, the abundance, the potentiality of given country X uh, and you swoop in and you extract from it uh, instead of returning. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's a very practical example of you know that this these words like liturgy of abundance and myth of scarcity have some real time you know ramifications yeah and so i think to fight a, against extractive you know economics uh and, and talk about it in ways of, of how do you use it within the community you know that is generating it uh, is one of the things that our local leaders foundations in africa are really trying to do um you know in effect you know, to fight against, you know, the, you know, U.S., China, other, com- you know, countries that are coming in and certainly recognize the value of Africa, uh, but then don't demonstrate it, you know, because they are extracting 
from it rather than, you know, re-investing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, well, you know, and one of the things, Dave, is that having, like, one of my experiences in, in having the chance to visit Africa, a couple of different countries, is I think it's the smiliest place on mm. earth. I mean, when mm. I, I, one of the things that struck me was just this, everybody, like, such incredible smiles and, like, a lot of laughing. The little kids, like, we yeah. went to a, you know, a kind of a, a sec post-secondary school kind of deal. And, um, you know, it was kind of fun. No one, none of the kids had ever seen a Frisbee in this particular, we were up in Northern Zambia. Mm. Talk about extracting. That's where, uh, yeah. um, you know, uh, Western countries had come up and, you know, taken all the copper and then left nothing, yeah. but, you know, giant mosquito ponds. But, but yeah. anyway, we throw this Frisbee and this huge cloud of kids would just run all together laughing like crazy and then once it would fall yeah. to the ground we thought well probably you know we were the first time i threw it i thought well whoever whatever kid gets it will probably just take off you know yeah. and, you know like try to you know own it right yeah and what happened yeah. was they they ran it all the way back to me like you know they were like yeah you know we are not we are not qualified to throw it but you know let's get it back to the <laughs> thrower anyway and yeah. anyway i just remember how much laughing yeah. and how different that was than the images that i usually see in africa i yeah. mean you know like that i guess usually from i mean fundraising you know yeah so when we made the comment about extractive economics you know you think about you know the big you know companies that do that but on the nonprofit side you know we also participate in a kind of you know extractive uh, sort of um method you know it's instead of showing what is good and right about you know africa you know oftentimes we'll raise up pictures of you know starving kids uh i mean with flies you know buzzing around them and uh you know really attempting right to show people how broken the place is and that's why they should somehow think about investing in you know name the ngo moving forward so it's in that context that i think you know one of the things i'm most proud about with our leadership foundations in africa is that they they refuse to walk down that path and you know talk just about you know the deficits um yeah. you know of their city uh, they're aware of them. They're very sober-minded. Uh, they are realists. But again, going back to a theme, Rick, that I think you and I have, you know, called forth time and time again, uh, it's going to be in loving your city that is going to change mm -hmm. it, right? It's, yeah. it's lifting up the things that are already embedded in it, that are good and right and worthy, you know, of a kind of of praise and then how do you use those as your foundation to help you engage some you know tough tough issues to be sure yeah uh, but what that implies then is that the assets right the abundance is already there um and now it's just a matter of of making use of that channeling that in a way that can make positive change yeah and i think you know that uh to your point i, I don't think when we talk about the liturgy of abundance you know, based even on the creation narrative, that it means that we're um, in denial about scarcity. It's not that you know we don't understand right. that there's that there are needs, but I think to to sort of market um, the needs is again, as you mentioned in our previous podcast, is to um, do some violence to the people themselves. 
Exactly. You know what I mean? It's, it's to cause, it's to increase the shame, you know, Hey, you yeah. know, uh, too bad you're you and you know, you are where you are. You yep. Know? Yep. No, that's exactly yeah, right. So I, I think, well, one of the great things about uh, LF is we have not only the opportunity of telling stories about, you know, our wanderings, but I mean, we have a chance to talk and pray for people and, you know, converse with people and meet with people mm-hmm. who live all over the world. Yep. And uh, a case in point, uh, De La Harp LaRue is the president of the Towers of Hope Leadership Foundation in uh, Bloemfontein, South Africa. And, right. uh, you know, what a... What a remarkable, um, everything about that sentence is remarkable <laughs> because, I mean, you know, De La Harp is like the coolest first name ever, you know, okay, uh, De La Harp they... LaRue almost sounds like, you know, it, you could just rename every street and, you know, in, in, <laughs> in, in any Francophone country, you know, would be your name. But, but um, t- t- tell me a little bit about um, De La Harp and, you know, uh, who he is. Yeah, he's a, he's a very important person uh, in the Aleph Network. He, so back up half a step. Okay. Um, Leisure Foundations in Africa got started through uh, Dr. Uh, Stefan de Beer. Uh, and Stefan and his wife, Vilna, started the first Leadership Foundation, uh, you know, in South Africa, in Pretoria, um, mm-hmm. called the Shwani Leadership Foundation. And I love to tell that story in part, Rick, because that happened um, in 1993. So, you know, pretty close to the origin story of Leaders Foundations as a whole. Uh, right. We were always global. Uh, Stefan, I should also add, is probably, you know, maybe one of the lead, well, for sure, one of the leading theological voices on urban Africa uh, in the world. And so, mm-hmm. um, Stefan, as he taught uh, and trained in all of that, he, of course, would be lifting up the Leadership Foundation model um, as a way to engage your city. Uh, Della Harp was one of his students uh, that had a chance uh, to hear Stefan wax poetically and theologically about that. And so, you know, said, hey, I'm going to go get that going uh, in, in Bloemfontein. And so has now been doing that for, I think, the better part of 15 to 20 years. Um, hmm. Recently here, uh, probably in the last four years, one of the things that I think we realized at the global office is that, um, you know, we needed somebody um, thinking about uh, Africa. And so uh, Delaharp stepped into that position and he now works with the global team and he is the sort of traffic cop on all things uh, leadership foundations in Africa. So he's the one that somebody expresses interest, you know, he'll make his way to their city, uh, see if they're Mm -hmm. for real, uh, talk about, you know, city is playground, we will change. Um, He's also a pastor um, in the Dutch reform uh, church and, uh, and has along with that glorious uh, name that you just referenced, maybe one of the all time great speaking voices. I mean, (laughs) if, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this, Rick, it's like, you know, Someday I'm going to have a chance to talk to God, and I wonder what God's voice is going to sound like. I think it might be Della Harp. <laughs> it's just this rich, big, strong, yeah. but also comforting, like great sense of humor. So I, I can't say enough good things about him. And well, his- well we had a chance to, uh, you know, have that conversation, uh, a conversation uh, with Della Harp. So we're going to hear his voice in just a second here. But uh, yeah. we, we, you know, I uh, getting back to Stefan at the Schwani uh, Leadership Foundation, where I had a chance to you know, uh, 
experienced that. One of the, one of my takeaways from that, um, you know, in just a, a couple of weeks that I was there was, you know, to talk about um, the whole big idea last uh, episode, we talked about, um, you know, seeing, um, you know, the assets uh, of the world versus the deficits. And, yeah. uh, and he, you know, Stefan was one of the ones who, who introduced me at least to so many more, um, such a, a bigger picture of abundance than I was thinking, you oh, know, yeah. he, not only just the, not only the, the people, but, you know, just the, the place, you know, the way things were structured, the, you know, the, yeah. the ability to, you know, to, to, um, you know, design, you know, community on and on and on. And you know what I'm talking about, but it's it, it very, very, um, inspiring. And I could see why not only is he, you know, uh, a leader in terms of, you know, uh, African, uh, urban, um, yep. you know, theology, but also just in terms of theology and yep. understanding this liturgy of abundance. But now one of the things that happens in, um, in the context of, uh, of where De La Harp and the Towers of Hope are located are, uh, some challenges, um, and, and, and they're involved in, you know, reaching out in these areas, uh, based on, you know, the abundance that, that they understand, uh, uh, God to be, and yet mm-hmm. they, they, they are not afraid to face like homelessness, um, especially some, uh, trafficking issues, uh, yeah. so, you know, tell me a little bit about that and then we'll hear from, uh, De La Harp. Yeah. Well, the first thing again, I would say is that, uh, like any good leadership foundation work, um, you let the city set the agenda for your work, right? Rather than you setting the agenda uh, right. for the city. And so Della Harp, in a very, I think, wonderful and thoughtful way, uh, as he engaged leaders of good faith and goodwill, as he built the capacity of others, as he began to think about developing joint initiatives, what uh, came up quickly um, was homelessness um, you know, in, in Bloemfontein, and that that needed to be uh, engaged. And then because of course it's South Africa, um, you know, women uh, trapped, you know, within the, the prostitution ring, the sex traffic. Mm-hmm. So those are the, the, the two that, that they're spending a lot of time on uh, as they try to, uh, again, help Bloemfontein become more like a playground rather than a battleground. And he'll have just some really thoughtful, uh, interesting ways to, uh, to talk about that. One of the things I would just say to our listeners that you'll want to pay attention to uh, when Della Harp talks about these pretty difficult issues is is the tone of his voice. Uh, there is a kind of, you know, love and respect and uh, almost an ennobling uh, in which Della Harp talks about these things. I mean, he considers it his privilege, right, um, to be in relationship uh, with these two groups that, um, you know, Sometimes people have found uh, them very difficult to love, but not not Della Harp. Hmm. Well, if he has been given the voice of God, then the heart of God came, <laughs> came right. with it. That's so right. uh, let's listen now uh, and uh, and listen to Della Harp, especially as he describes um, what scarcity uh, has done in these different, um, you know. In these these different areas of, of the city's life. Yep, do that. I'm Dela Harp I'm a 
pastor, but I'm also the, the managing director or CEO of Tales of Hope Leadership Foundation in uh, Bloemfontein, uh, South Africa. Now, Bloemfontein is flyover country. <laughs> so a small secondary city right in the middle of South Africa. Yeah, Bloemfontein is, uh, is traditionally a very Afrikaner and conservative city. Um, population of around about, depending on how you look at the numbers, of under a million people. Um, so even though it's very conservative in Afrikaans, uh, in terms of the uh, demographics of South Africa, uh, the, the white Afrikaners are, are actually a very small mi minority. I don't have the exact figures, but I would say, you know, not more than 20%, even less. Uh, so the traditional uh, African language or Af African cultural groups here would be Sesotho and Swana. Um, it's a good city to raise your kids. Uh, you know, um, uh, five o'clock traffic is very easy. You know, <laughs> you you never stay, you never uh, spend more than ten minutes in a, in a in a traffic queue. You know, and even ten minutes for us in Bluefontein is too much. So, uh, yeah, it's a great city to 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 work, and everything is near. Um, and um, and uh, yeah, it's got all the the stuff of a city. That's the, that's the positive part. The negative part of all the challenges of which we have in South Africa at the moment, um, the infighting in the governing party. Um, we are, um, in, in our context, we would say we are the captured city. So there's unfortunately been big, big corruption in the last couple of years in, uh, in South Africa, in some uh, important figures in the governing party. And uh, one of the leaders of that corruption is the previous premier of uh, of uh, the Free State Province, and uh, but his uh, his comrades, his cadres, are still in control of the city and the province. So, yeah, so crazy things happen here, and the fighting in the governing party. I would actually say the fighting for the for the soul of the governing party is going on, and uh, one of the battlegrounds would be in the political arena would be Bluefontein, and it affects society tremendously. So service delivery is very very bad in our city. So uh, I am. I founded Towers of Hope in uh, 2008, and actually we were registered in 2010. Um, I started out as a pastor of a conservative white Afrikaans congregations, first in uh, Durban, uh, in Tequini, uh, on the Indian uh, Ocean coast. And then I came back to Bloemfontein, where I grew up. And um, But there's a long journey even before I started in the ministry, uh, where the, the plight of the poor and the marginalized was growing on me. And I would really term it as a, as a calling of the Lord. And it, you know, it took all kinds of different directions, you know, uh, from evangelistic work, uh, nighttime on the streets in, uh, in Durban and Pretoria, Tswane, where I was for a for a period after I finished my my uh, secondary schooling, and um, so so even when I became a minister in the Dutch Reformed Church, and I I'm a pastor. That's what I am. <laughs> Before anything, I'm a pastor. I love preaching, and but uh, but they they grew in my spirit uh, an awareness that I just don't want to be a pastor of a beautiful suburban white peaceful white Afrikaans church. That's not what I experienced my calling as my calling grew. So uh, when I came back to Bluefontein from Durban, uh, being a pastor here, um, for a couple of things that happened, uh, the church structure 
uh, sent me to the inner city church. Now again, inner city in a secondary city, our city is very small. Um, but but at inner city church, uh, the old two tower church, the old historical mother church of the Dutch Reformed Church in the Free State, uh, a very strong Afrikaner symbol. Uh, with all the good and the bad of the uh, white Afrikaans people in the Free State and in Bloemfontein. And my task was to start something there for the poor and the marginalized. Um, and then in 2010, uh, Tales of Hope was registered as a, as an NGO uh, or an NPO, we would say, in South Africa. And uh, then the new congregation also start, started. And um, yeah, so pre-COVID, in, in a Sunday when I preach about... Uh, uh, 85% of those sitting in the pews tonight sleep on the street, uh, homeless and unemployed, and the majority of them are not white and Afrikaans. Um, Sutu, Tswana, and, and even from, from other African countries. Now, since we are in the COVID lockdown pandemic, uh, many of the, the other few members that's, that, uh, that do not sleep on the street, uh, that stay behind, most of them you know, don't come to church anymore. That's another discussion. So now on a Sunday morning, about like 19 and 90 to 95% of those coming to church are homeless and unemployed people. Well, you can see that in uh, Bloemfontein, there uh, is no denial in terms of the, the impact of scarcity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only in, in um, the homelessness and, you know, the trafficking area, but also, um, you know, in the way that, that corruption uh, responds to, you know, this, this, feeling of desperation. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you noticed this Dave, but, uh, I'm actually piping in sounds of children playing, you nice. know, in, at my house, they're actually two, two little children that are just playing because city has playground, Dave. There Come you on. go. So in case, in case anybody it. hears a little bit of laughter in the background, uh, this is, you know, part of the, uh, the, the magic of our intent there. So, but you know, now let's think about this for a second. Uh, we we've alluded to this and actually not just alluded, but talked about it last episode that, that um, our present COVID reality, which now is 15 months, you know, in the rear view mirror um, has been something that's drawn us together as uh, you know, a global movement and actually as citizens of the, you know, of the cosmos ourselves, because it's not just a, uh, our country or their country that's been dealing with this, but it's just been, you know, it's a, it's a global pandemic. And yet um, it's created uh, not only, um, man, great difficulty. And, and um, we even know right now that we have some, our, some of our brothers and sisters in different areas are, are facing the, the worst of it, even at this point. Yeah. But it's also created some uh, opportunities. Yeah. It's certainly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I want to preface uh, the comment I'm going to make with uh, sort of a, not an apology, but wanting to just tell people that COVID has been horrific. Um, mm. And I, you know, absolutely stand with everybody who's trying to fight this uh, disease. Having said that, um, there is what I would, again, want to be careful here, but say is a silver lining uh, to COVID. And it's simply this. Rick, in my mind, uh, COVID has unveiled um, what has always been at play. Uh, and so leadership foundations, for example, you know, I mean, we always knew uh, because we're working in those spaces with regard to the economic disparities, you know, the uh, equity issues around race um, and trying to convince people 
of that truth, you know, mm-hmm. uh, has been a part of our job and it's proven to be difficult, right? People either say, oh, that's not true or you're overstating yeah. it or you're dramatizing it. With COVID, that veil's been pulled down. And yeah. so at this point, whether it's in the funding community, right, whether it's in the political class, whether it's in business, you would have to be a pretty brazen soul to say, no, there, there aren't those kinds of things that you've been talking about. And what that has allowed, I think, you know, then is someone like Adela Harp um, to continue to bring attention um, to what has always been there, right? But now everybody can see it. And yeah. the beauty of his work is that he, because he's been working at it, he now has a ready-made solution, right, to engage these things because yeah. that's what he's been doing for the last 15, 20 years. So, um, yeah, that that relationship with COVID is is something that actually I'll just step here to the side and say that all of our local leadership foundations have experienced this. It's almost as though the voice crying in the wilderness that has oftentimes been leadership foundations uh, has sort of been brought out of the wilderness because, mm-hmm. oh, that's what you were talking about. Right. Well, let's do right. something. So, yeah. And I think on the, you know, the idea of, um, you know, we don't face a resource challenge. We face a distribution challenge. And that's, that's something right. that, uh, you know, Dale Harp is, is actively engaged. And let's listen to him as he talks about some of these challenges and opportunities of the COVID era. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, so COVID really caught us off guard, all of us. Um, uh, so we had our heavy lockdown in South Africa was, was, was very much that everything was closed. And, um, and, and, and as we knew the date of the lockdown was coming, uh, we tried to get permits to go on, you know, running the soup kitchen because, you know, COVID or non, not COVID people need food, the homeless and the, the vulnerable. But I sometimes say tongue in the cheek, but I mean it. At that stage, the person uh, giving out permits in Bloemfontein to continue were not born yet. So <laughs> it's crazy, you know. So we continued and we tried all kinds of COVID protocols, you know, the distancing and whatever, you know, and uh, and uh, we went right in the center of town. So we're very uh, in everybody's face. And uh, so uh, the first month, two months, the police regularly stopped there and, you know, checked us out uh, as we did the soup kitchen. Um, a bit a bit intimidating, but uh, we continued. And uh, even a couple of times, the uh, army trucks stopped there and soldiers with guns get, get, get off and walk around. <laughs> it's crazy, man. And uh, then at the end of April, uh, I think it was the 28th of April, 2020, uh, just after soup kitchen, the police came there in full force and the brigadier said, Pastor, you should have been arrested. Uh, because, it, crazy, eh? because it's against the regulations to give to give food to poor people in the COVID crisis. I mean, it's just, that's why I say, our country is a crazy country. And uh, so they threatened to arrest me. They were, not, they were not in a bad way, but they were really serious. And they checked us out for the next week. And we had to slip food in all kinds of ways to some of the homeless people passing by. And um, yeah, maybe I afterwards I reflected I should have, you know, you know, um, continued. And but I really didn't want to sleep two days in prison. You know, <laughs> I really didn't want to do that. Uh, so it was difficult times, but it was an emergency time, and we were functioning. You know, and and there were core staff, and you know, it's like it's like we're on a mission, like like that. Uh, 
they're like movies, Mission Impossible type of movies, you know, we're going and, you know, trying to stay away from the police barricades and stuff like that. And, but then it just continued. Um, and I think that, that's what happened to many of my colleagues and other ministers and other NGOs. Compassion fatigue has really set in. And, and uh, I saw, we see it as we, we went past December and started uh, the new year in 2021. That many people are just tired, whether it's it's NGOs, whether it's ministers, churches, whether it's donors. So, so in the crisis time, I mean, we got some of the best donations. You know, people were wanting to help, and you know, uh, for the five month month period, uh, so we had this the soup kitchen, but we also had the food parcels going out to the poorer areas. And in the that six month period of the heavy lockdown, I think it from our church. We distributed over nine nine thousand food parcels. I mean, it's a big operation, exciting, but it just continued. So, so now it's a, trying to adapt, so-called the new the new normal, or like people say, the I think somebody said once the ice age. Now oh, we must 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 cope with this. This is not going to end soon. So, uh, so it has an effect on all of us, uh, my staff, uh, people involved with us. Uh, our our work has shifted very much uh, to, to 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 you know where before we had, we did a lot of you know food um, food security you know the soup kitchen and food parcels. Now since COVID and even as we are on a lighter lockdown, um, there's a, a lot of our work is just food food coming in, food being sorted out, food going out. You know so so that's a and that's not necessarily bad. Uh, we go with the flow, and that's the need, the food security, although it's different now than in the heavy lockdown and even before the COVID pandemic. Um, so, so that takes a lot. Uh, one of the other things that's a great new development, which I just love, man, it's a, it's a, we got some funding uh, to buy um, a shower trailer, little trailer you put behind the bucket, or you don't call it with a bucket, I think you call it a, a truck in the U.S., ne? We call it a bucky. <laughs> okay. So uh, um, every Thursday, we store the trailer at some other business and uh, we go and fetch it and we put it up and um, homeless people come and show. And it's amazing just to honor their dignity as human beings and let them shower. We have a chat with them. They feel they are special. We, one of one of our guys have started to become a barber, so but he's only got one, you know, one cut, he cut off everything. <laughs> but it's amazing, and uh, it does my spirit so well because for the first time with many of these guys coming through the soup kitchen, with many of them, there's no time, especially in the COVID time, because they have to be in and out because of the COVID protocols. But now he can connect a bit better. And uh, I can just see how they're also changing towards us. And, and, and those that have been through our showers, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a different bond between us. So this is very exciting. Man. So every Thursday, I look forward to Thursday mornings when you do the shower project. <laughs> Yeah, in the midst of the heavy COVID lockdown, uh, God is our provider. You know, um, <laughs> I, um, yeah, it's just still amazing you know, that uh, people, you know, uh, couldn't go to work. Uh, many people didn't get paid, but because 
there are good people out there. And now it says because of our Lord God, of the work of the Holy Spirit. So the way that we got money to buy food and buy food and buy food is just amazing. And our marketing is not so good. Let me immediately confess that. But it's just because people in a small secondary city know who we are. And for God's grace, they know the good things in our track record. They don't, not too many people know the many mistakes we've made. So in that sense, in the midst of scarcity, people are having work. You know, um, I think it's Hudson Taylor, the old missionary of the China Inland Mission. He said, uh, you know, many years ago, read his, one of his books, his story. And uh, he never asked for money when he talked with people because he believed if God's work is done God's way, God will provide. Now, I'm not so so so, so spiritual giant, giant as Hudson Taylor. I tell people what we need. But I mean, if God's work is done God's way, God will provide. So he really provided abundantly. And even at times when there were some, some um, you know, uh, before COVID, we didn't get so, we get a lot of funding during the very heavy COVID time um, to buy food, food parcels for the food parcels. But, um, just as the COVID lockdown started last year, um, we got connections with big supermarkets in our area uh, to come and pick up the food pass sell by date. There's nothing wrong with the food, they just can't sell it. And it came at exactly the right moment. You know, so, man, God's timing is always 100%. So that is abundance. The abundance of, uh, of uh, not only last year, but even now, and I just spoke to a couple of people that are interested, you know, the past week, uh, calling me about some stuff or wanting to do volunteer work at the House of Hope. And I was sharing with this group of students earlier today, uh, you know, I, I told them the fact that you guys are, are positive and you guys want to do something, and that, that gives me energy. You know, so we are a very small staff and we do a lot of projects, but it's because of so many good people that want to volunteer. And uh, <laughs> so in the midst of scarcity, God provides, whether it's funding, whether it's the volunteers, whether it's even to go on, because uh, me and many of my staff, we are tired. Uh, sometimes I think I'm near burnout, uh, but I can go on, you know, I have to check myself and that's another conversation. But the energy, God provides the energy, God provides the passion, God provides the, the purpose, you know. Uh, there's an old saying that says, where do you like the light? Where there's light or where there's darkness? Of course, it's the doctors, <laughs> and especially in uh, in the city of Bloemfontein, where we are captured by all the corruption, all the nonsense happening around us. I mean, that's the place to be in the sense. So, um, so there's, there's there's much more abundance than there are scarcity. So, 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 so there's an old saying of, uh, and I think, I believe I've picked it somewhere that Mother Teresa of Calcutta has said it. And uh, at times when I feel so tired, I, I say it for my, to myself and I smile. You know, she, they say she used to say, I know God will not give me anything I cannot have. I just sometimes wish he didn't trust me so much. <laughs> so don't I say, oh man, God, I'll do what I can, but whoa. <laughs> Yeah, so the scarcity mindset is a, is a reality and uh, on, in all sectors of society. So where you have some churches that in the heavy lockdown and even now, you know, in spite of their own struggle to make ends meet, they, they live in abundance and they share what they have. You will get some fellowships that, uh, 
that are not like that, unfortunately. Um, you know, uh, in terms of the Gini coefficient, you know, the, 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 the great difference between the richest and the poorest, uh, there's one thing South Africa is, is, is first, and that's the Gini coefficient. We, the country in the world, as the last time I looked at it, which have the greatest disparity or, or, or uh, contrast between the richest, richest and the poorest. So there's lots of money in South Africa. So I don't, you know, and amongst all culture groups and, and, and whatever. So the money's there. Um, but so you can have a lot of money and you can have a lot of toys and all the goods, but you can have a scarcity mindset. Um, so you see that on so many levels of society. In terms of, of, of government, um, yeah, you know, <laughs> When the heavy lockdown happened in South Africa, suddenly all the provinces had to jump and and open temporary shelters for the homeless with the uh, purpose to curb the spread of the COVID-19 virus. And um, in Bluefontein, or in the world of the Free State, there's no government shelters. It's not even on the government budget to take care of the homeless, not at all. So uh, they suddenly jumped, and that's another interesting story. You know, it was like a big government secret. Where is the shelters going to open? You know, our homeless people just told us, you know, they're going to pick us up in a bus at the, that time of the morning, you know, very early. And it was, now I laugh at it, but it's crazy, man. So uh, eventually, after a week or two into the lockdown, we were able to figure out where the government shelters were. And I became involved. And uh, on the low-level government staff, very open for any help. And, uh, and the government shelters are still open. You know, there's still homeless people. But in terms of in terms of scarcity mode, there's been times where the for two weeks at a row there's no food. Government just bring more people to the shelter, but they don't give food. So luckily, God's grace, the House of Hope have got a lot of food that come in, and we have to take food to them and try to challenge these government officials. Yeah, yeah. So 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 the comparison, I, th- I think, uh, scarcity and abundance is not primarily something which you have or have not. It's all a mindset. I, I, can, I can totally uh, you know, concur with that. Um, so I've seen we have rich people who have an abundant mindset that they are blessed and they just give and they just receive and they just give. Um, you, you know, and I've seen with rich people also have a scarcity mindset that they keep what they have. And uh, they, they're not sharing. And they, they, they're sharing the drips and the drabs. But in terms of the homeless population, uh, there's definitely also at times a scarcity mindset. You know, where some of them, uh, depending on what caused the homelessness and what decisions led to them being homeless and living on the street and fighting to survive, there's uh, at times, you know, uh, they, become, they can become so asocial that they build this thick, sort of skin around them and you can't enter that and um, they make it very difficult and uh, they sort of hoard stuff so that happens so so but you also get an abundant mindset i think one of the most beautiful stories or experiences i had uh, is with the ladies on the street Uh, the ladies selling their bodies to to, just to get money just to survive and um, uh, so we don't talk about prostitutes uh, because they're more than that they are trapped and in terms of our context, I don't know prostitution in other places, but these ladies, um, uh, they didn't dream when they were young girls, one day I'm going to be on the street and sell my body. You know, that's definitely never, none of them want to do that. 
So they have to be heavy drugged. Uh, I would say three out of two out of three of them are heavy drugged just to be able to handle it every night. Um, but but with them, I've seen abundance. At the time. So so we go out at nighttime and we share sandwiches and uh, we coffee or cool drink depending on the season. And yeah, the pastor hands out condoms. Can you imagine? Yes, <laughs> but I want them to be safe. So, uh, so I've seen how they share with one another and not even with, only with one another because the focus when you go out at night is, is on the ladies, not on the men. So I, I try not to give to the men on the street when we walk the streets at night, uh, but to focus on the ladies and tell the men as such. But they, what then have happened more than once, these ladies, they, they take the sandwiches and they call the men and they give it to them. <laughs> you know, so that's sharing, you know, it, it, it just happens. So, so uh, we've seen that at times, um, you know, um, amongst all levels of our vulnerable people, they would come and tell us, but, but pastor, this, this friend of mine, or this thing, this, he's suffering, or he's in a bad state, and how people really care about one another. So, so my, my, my point is that abundance and scarcity are not limited only to one grouping of people. You get among rich people. A lot of abundance mentality and a lot of scarcity mentality. You get amongst the poorest of the poor, a lot of scarcity mentality, but a lot of abundance mentality. So it's all about mentality. And now the, the question begs, how is that formed? We, we, want to, we want to be part of the journey of people and communities to transform from vulnerability to ability. So our three main focuses would be to connect with people, and then uh, and start uh, something of a journey, and uh, you know, f- for people, empowering would mean different things. You know, uh, sometimes you have uh, I, I just have to smile and shake my head. Well-meaning people, I think, ah, oh, yeah, just train a poor person or a homeless person, and he becomes an entrepreneur. And I said, hey man, you know, you are totally up in the clouds. Uh, people can be so damaged because of whatever happened to them. Uh, you can't make somebody an entrepreneur. You can just journey with them. So, so the empowering in each person is different in terms of, of what has happened and what has not happened and what is possible and what is, humanly speaking, not possible. Of course, God can do miracles. But most of the time, he, he just loves people. And that's what we have. We just journey with people, remind people God has not forgotten them. So connecting with people, and I'll say something more about that, is empowering people. And then, and then lastly, what does an exit mean? Uh, and we're struggling with that one. Really, we still have to learn a bit more how to, uh, people can exit, whatever that might mean in different situations. So we have a daily soup kitchen. We have a food ministry, not only to individuals, but we are a conduit of lots of food coming through us to other smaller organizations and township churches. Um, we have a clothing uh, ministry. People really bless us with lots of clothes and and a lot of lot of it we hand out but some we can't hand out on the street and like you say in the u.s a thrift store we would uh, just say second hand shop and they were very low prices you know so anybody can come and buy at it buy the shop uh, but it's mostly focused on the on the poorest of the poor that have some money you know so so they can buy for cheap and uh, we have a very small medical uh, first aid station we cannot say a clinic because then the government will be on us you know all the registrations so we try to give medical advice and references to hospitals whatever um and then we we this so this is serving and then the second big focus is embracing 
that would be the outreach to ladies trapped in prostitution. Uh, before COVID, we did lots of outreaches uh, during the prayer walks and going to the flats, inner city flats, and visiting people. And and um, the church, in a sense, forms part of that, so welcoming people into community. And then we have empowering. Um, for some, that would mean uh, life skills, trying to get people to... You know, the, the different life skills they, they weren't taught as, as youngsters, as they grew up. Uh, it might mean some needlework projects we have. It might mean we have the street cleaning programs where people earn a bit of money. Uh, companies and individuals pay us to clean some areas of the city and we pay the guys. It's not a business that makes money, but it's a ministry that these guys can at least earn some money uh, and not just receive food. We work with township NGOs. We we help smaller organizations to reflect how do you run an NGO in terms of financial accountability and leadership and stuff like that. Um, and uh, then we have uh, the fourth sort of tier is what does it mean to be respo responsible in the city? So it's not only about giving people who are poor help, <clears throat> but asking why are people poor? The whole thing of the social justice thing. But again, that's very difficult because of the race politics in South Africa. But uh, so more and more, the towers of hope, and I feel very strongly about that venture into that area. You know, it's not just handing out to the poor. It's, it's helping the poor to stand up against systems which are wrong, which are against uh, certain groups. The voice of God, the heart of God, <laughs> in a francophone body. Um, wow. So uh, thankful for Dela Harp and the work at the Towers of Hope. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that uh, many many people might not know this, Dave, but um, we get a, every single day email from uh, from LF Central. Uh, and, uh, you know, Reed sends out a, a reminder. And so we get a chance to... A pray for all the different leadership foundations and it's just a it's mm -hmm. a great it's just been a blessing to me to to even um in some ways i've had a chance to meet a lot of these folks or hear from them but even if it's just virtual to me it, it makes me um a, a, you know it allows me to participate in the that's abundance great. of what god's doing around the world and that's one of the things that uh that i've enjoyed and it's so great to hear dale harp's voice and uh, as our regular listens, listeners would know this, but if you're brand new to this podcast, this is going to amaze you. What we do is we wrap up our episode each week with a recommendation on what helps us see the city uh, more clearly as a playground and not a battleground. And that uh, we want to see the city the way God sees the city. So mm. this week, our recommendation is from De La Harp, the voice of God, the heart of God, <laughs> from <laughs> from uh, this remarkable uh, uh work that they're involved in uh in uh in bloemfontein south africa so let's listen to what dale harp has to offer wonderful there's a wood carving and i think i first um i was made aware of it through the Twani leadership foundation stefan de beer uh, he introduced me to the leadership foundation many years ago and i'll always be thankful for uh, who stefan is and the role he played and is still playing in my life 
Um, but the wood carving uh, from a German guy, Fritz Eichenberg, who made it in 1951. And uh, wood carving, is, uh, his name is the Christ of the Breadlines. So you have the silhouette um, of Christ standing in a soup kitchen queue. And there are people around him in the queue. And you can see they're all tired and in rags. And, and Jesus is there. He's not sorting the problems out. He's just there. It's a ministry of presence. So over and over again in this past uh, 14, 13 years that I've been involved with Tales of Hope, the wonderful privilege is to realize we don't save people. We're not, I'm not the Messiah. My staff is not the Messiah. Our organization is not the Messiah. We just journey with people. Um, ministry of presence and do what we can and in God's hands I'll be pleased that so so that's one of my yeah I I would love wanted to have a copy of that wood carving uh, in my in my study I haven't yet you know but I have to make some time to get it well thanks again to uh, Dale Harp and his his input into this particular episode thanks to you dave uh for your time and your insight and uh thank you rick thanks to uh to noah basket who uh glues it all together and gets it out there for all of us and and uh, does these amazing interviews and also thanks to you for listening if you have any uh input advice or you know you you say hey uh i got something to share as well uh, uh stay in touch info at leadershipfoundations.org until next time dave we'll see you all right rick thank you thank you